Welcome to the Real Life Arizona podcast, the latest sermons from the Sunday worship gatherings of Real Life Ministries Arizona, delivered weekly right here. Let's get to this week's message. Well, good morning. It's me again. I don't, I don't usually do this much stuff on uh, Sunday mornings, but some good friends of ours, John and Kathy Coca, uh, were going to lead us in communion this morning, but uh, they were feeling a little bit of, uh, you know, some of those things uh, that are happening to people these days, and they decided that it would be best uh, to just stay close to home, so if you get up here, you can wave to them uh, in the camera. So be praying for them, and, uh, you know, hopefully it's a little 24-hour deal. Those things also still happen. Just doesn't seem like it, but yeah, so be praying for them. And uh, for some other folks who are uh, either on the road or or under the weather this week. Uh, You know, I thought, I like to to know a couple of things. I like to know where I am, and I like to know where I'm headed. And this week, it occurred to me that maybe some of you would like to know where you are and where we're headed. Uh, So I just wanted to give you a quick picture uh, of, of kind of where we're headed over the next couple of months. Um, we are currently in a series in the book of Exodus called Set Apart, and we're looking at the process that God often takes his people through uh, in becoming his people in this world. And so that's where we are uh, this week and next. Uh, and, and this is really about helping us understand what our calling is and what it takes to fulfill that calling. And then we're going to move into a series called Disciple Making Culture. And and in that series, we're going to take a look at not only the message of Jesus and the mission of Jesus, but also his methods as well. You know, it's interesting. We we pick up this Bible and and we understand that these are the it's the inspired word of God. And if you have the kind that I have, uh, there's some there's some letters in red. And those are the words of Jesus. And, and we look at those words and we, and we see this is God speaking to us. But I think sometimes we, we miss the fact that, that Jesus told us that everything that he did was inspired by the Father. I only do what I see the Father doing, Jesus said. Uh, and so we take that and we look at Jesus' methods of making disciples. And we see that those are inspired by God as well. That, that God understood that there was one way of making the disciples that he wanted to make. And that was through not only the message and the mission of Jesus, but also his methods. And, and so we're going to talk about that in our series um, called Disciple Making Culture. Uh, we're going to look at uh, relational discipleship and how we live that out. And we're going to do that based on the way Jesus lived out the culture that he created with his disciples. Um, It it unfortunately stands in stark contrast um, to what the American church experience is today. Uh, And and so we're going to understand the calling. We're going to see how Jesus did it. And then we're going to ask the question, what are some things that we need to do individually? What, What are the most important practices that we need to walk out in order to stay on track with the methods of Jesus and the calling that he's called us to. Uh, and so hopefully by the, by the end of this, we'll understand our calling, 
We'll understand how Jesus modeled it and how we can walk it out, and then what the individual things are uh, in the process of doing that. And hopefully, by the time we're done, it'll all be a lot clearer than this graphic, uh, because that came out really blurry uh, when I made it big. So, hopefully, it will be a lot clearer than that when we get to the end of this, of this process. So, uh, and, and for those of you who are here this week, um, but you may have obligations somewhere else another week, um, and, and you want to, I'm just pretending like you would want to hear one of the messages that you missed, so just you know, bear with me. Um, but if you did, we do have a podcast. Um, and so you can look up Real Life Arizona on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and catch up uh, on anything that you missed. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where we are. That's, that's where we're headed. Um, and, and I'm going to bring us back to this one right now and this process uh, that God takes his people through in, in not only being his people, but, but there's another sense of becoming his people in this world. Um, and, and that involves a process. And so last week we looked at the three pieces of that process and we saw that the first one was reproduction. No, uh, that's just where things ended up. Um, <laughs> That was an inside joke if you were here last week. Um, it was actually about consecration. Um, the message last week was actually about consecration. And so we said that uh, there were three pieces to this process that God takes his people through in becoming his people. Uh, and, and the first is consecration. I think if you go to the next slide, we may have some thoughts on consecration. Yes. Uh, and we talked about how the first part of this process is that God sets his people apart. And we saw that in the book of Exodus in, in chapter 12. And in, you may remember uh, from the book of Exodus, if you're familiar with it, the plagues and everything that God was doing to, to get Pharaoh to let his people go. And repeatedly God says, but know that I make a distinction between Israel and Egypt. And why is there a distinction? Because God has set his people apart. And he sets his people apart so that they can play a part. And that was one of the things that we discovered last week in this consecration is that it involves we have been set apart and part of that is that God calls us to be set apart that we are different that we are distinct not that we withdraw from the world and become separate but that we are distinct in the world because we have been set apart by God and so this week we are going to talk about dedication and so consecration is the act of setting apart for God's purposes then dedication is the quality of being committed to a task or a purpose. Uh, dedication is the quality of being committed to a task or a purpose. And in this case, it would be God's purposes in this world. Uh, one of those tasks would be making disciples. Uh, and, and that requires dedication. If we, if we put consecration and dedication side by side... It might look something like this. Uh, we could think of consecration as, as a moment of setting apart where we, we drive a stake in the ground. And we say, this is who I am. I've been set apart. And then dedication would be an act of committing myself to God's purposes. And, and, I, and I separated my and self. Um, so it's not just myself, but my self seems to be bigger to me, it involves all kinds of things that are connected to my self. And it's that self, uh, my person, uh, that I commit to God's purposes. 
uh, and it's so that I can play a part, and we might understand that as this is what I do. Right? So, so consecration is, is this understanding of being set apart, and it's who I am. Dedication is uh, this act of commitment where you look at the purposes of God and you look at your life and you say, this is what I do. Uh, and so that's the idea of consecration uh, and dedication. And, and as we looked last week in the book of Exodus in chapter 12, uh, we saw uh, how God's people, the nation of Israel, were committed to his purposes. They'd been set apart. They set their families and their homes apart. Um, and then we see their level of commitment and readiness to follow where God was leading. We see that in Exodus chapter 12, verse 11. Uh, Moses, speaking for God, talking to the people about the Passover meal, he said, In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, with your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. So, so they've gone through all this preparation, all the consecration uh, with the lamb and the doorposts. And after the consecration, they're ready. They make themselves ready to follow God in the next step. And it's a good thing they were because uh, probably yet in the middle of the night, uh, as, as the destroyer went across the land of Egypt and the firstborn were, were struck down, uh, the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. So the people of Israel took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. And they went. And they went because they were prepared. They went because they were dedicated. They were committed. You know, here's the thing about commitments. They tend to get tested. Commitments get tested. Uh, if you've ever tried a diet, uh, <laughs> Or maybe an exercise program, or maybe one of those deals where you read through the Bible in a year. Uh, man, it's a year. A year is a long time, is it not? Uh, commitments, they get tested, uh, and the Israelites were tested. Uh, they were consecrated. They were set apart. Uh, they were dedicated. They began to go, but they were tested. Along the way, that, that commitment, that, that going with God also met a test. Actually, it met many tests at many turns for them going down this road with God. And, and the Red Sea was the first of, of many tests. Um, the people have left their homes in Egypt. They began to travel towards the land that the Lord said he would give them. Uh, and then we see in Exodus chapter 14 and verses 10 through 12, that Pharaoh changed his mind and he began to pursue them, regretting having let them go. Verse, or chapter 14, verse 10 tells us that when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. I think that's probably an understatement. They feared greatly and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt 
Is this not what we said to you while we were in Egypt? Just leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians. Their circumstances are telling them that it would have been better for us to remain in slavery than to die in the wilderness. You know, life has a way of presenting Red Sea moments for all of us. Because following God sometimes brings us to places, brings us to situations where we want to turn back. Where it seems like our, our old life, even though it may have been hard and it may have been painful, but at least it was familiar, it seemed easier than the road that we are on. And the Israelites, they, they wanted to go back. Multiple times they wished that they were back in Egypt, going back to slavery of all things. And we will encounter Red Sea moments that test our dedication as well. You know, shortly after we got this ministry off the ground uh, and things began happening, uh, what we eventually came to uh, lovingly refer to as the year from hell uh, began to unfold. And it really did feel like a year uh, from hell. At one point, I eventually stopped talking about it and describing it because every time I talked about all the events that went into that year, um, it just felt like there was a dark cloud hanging over me. And so I decided I was going to stop speaking <laughs> about those things. Um, but, you know, they say that things, difficult things come in threes. And so when we got to two, we were kind of hoping um, that, that maybe three would be the end. Uh, but, but three wasn't nearly the end, and either was four, and either was five, and either was six. Uh, they just didn't seem to stop coming. And uh, actually, thanks to you know, modern technology and Snapchat, um, we can take a poll over here, am I too old for Snapchat? I don't know. <laughs> it's the best way to communicate with my kids, that's what I've figured out. Um, I, I was reminded yesterday a picture came up in my memories from uh, two years ago, and it was two years ago yesterday. And uh, one of those difficult things that came our way in the middle of, I don't know if it was number four or five or what it was, uh, but my wife went in for some routine you know, medical tests and uh, they found cancer. And we thought after seven years, eight years, uh, that her cancer was back. And they couldn't tell us how advanced it was or exactly what kind it was, um, just that there were cancers, uh, cells in the tests. And um, you can imagine what that feels like. Um, most likely you can imagine that. And I don't know how many days it was before she could go in for the uh, next set of screening. Um, but uh, she went through that, and, um, and a few days later she got the results. And um, what, what came back um, left this picture of me, which shows you that I do know how to use Snapchat. <laughs> um, 
but, but this is me in my office. And um, it was after she had sent me a screenshot of the results that somehow said that there was no cancer. Mm -hmm. um, that all those previous detections or whatever um, were somehow wrong. And the doctors couldn't give any explanation for it. But, but this picture was taken um, after about 20 minutes of me just being a blubbering fool, um, not realizing how much I had been holding in. Um, but, but all I could do is, is cry in waves. And the cries were, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, thank you, Jesus. But, but it's, it's, these, it's these testings. Uh, and they don't always turn out this way. Uh, but it's these, these testings are often Red Sea moments um, where we, we look at the fact that we have followed God and, and how hard things may be getting. Uh, and we ask, you know, like we were <laughs> after number five or six or seven came along and just, why God? <laughs> I thought we were doing what you wanted us to do. This, this isn't what we signed up for. And I think that's what the Egyptians or the, the Israelites were thinking at the, the corner of the Red Sea. Uh, should, should we just be doing something else? <laughs> is, there, is there an easier way for us to take? Because following you seems to be really, really hard sometimes. You know, I thought, um, I thought about Mario this week. I've known Mario for probably, well, over 20 years. I gauge things by how old my kids are. Um, and so we've known Mario for over 20 years. And, and somewhere about 10 years ago or so, uh, Mario came to me and, and said, I just need to know about your faith. I, I grew up in the Catholic Church, but I don't know God. Um, and, and I need God in my life right now. And so we met a couple of times, and he began coming to a Bible study, and I, I'll never forget this. Um, he called me from Barnes & Noble. Um, that's a, it, we used to have bookstores <laughs> um, before there was Amazon. And so he calls me from Barnes & Noble, and he says, I decided to buy my first Bible, but I had no idea there were this many Bibles. <laughs> What kind of Bible should I get? You know, I don't understand these letters or, you know, what any of this means. And I said, well, you know, what I would recommend for you is uh, there's something called the New Living Translation. So see if you can have somebody find you a New Living Translation and an application study Bible. Like, that'll really help you as you're, you're starting to read the Word. And he's like, and he's got his daughter with him. And he's so excited and he, he picks, up, you know, picks out a Bible and he gets ready to leave. And, uh, and then he calls me back in like five minutes. And he goes, you're not going to believe this. I'm like, well, try me. <laughs> he goes, while I was in the store for 15 minutes buying my first Bible, someone stole my truck oh. out of the parking lot. Mm. And it has the only car seat that I own for my daughter who's with me. And I don't know how I'm going to get home. And he's like, what's the deal with this? <laughs> <laughs> It was a fair question. Uh, and so we had a little conversation about that. And I had to tell Mario that sometimes things get harder before they get easier. Uh, th this was a Red Sea moment for Mario. And I, I honestly wondered, I honestly worried, like, is he going to quit? Because who would blame him, right? You're standing outside Barnes & Noble going, God, I thought I was doing 
what you wanted me to do. Yeah. But this is the the only time I've ever had my truck stolen. Yeah. So what is so what is happening? Mm-hmm. Like is this what following you looks like? And of course, that isn't the only thing that following God, that following Jesus looks like. But but sometimes we come to these Red Sea moments and, and we begin to question and we begin to wonder and we, we begin to think about an easier way. But what we find as we get older, like some of these people on this side of the room, <laughs> and I'm over here with them, is that as hard as those things are, as difficult as they are, as many questions as they bring, so often it's in those things that God is shaping us and forming us. And we come out the other side in a way that we never could have without them. Uh, that the Israelites would eventually go through the Red Sea. And they would come out on the other side of it different than if they had never gone through it. Uh, because they'd never seen God part waters before. They'd seen a lot. Uh, but, but they hadn't <coughs> seen that kind of continued faithfulness and deliverance. And that's what we find so often when we stay true in our Red Sea moments. That's where we find his faithfulness. That's where we are assured that our dedication is matched by his. That that he is more faithful than we will ever be. And even in the hard, even in the pain, he goes with us. I was listening to a podcast by a guy named Pete Scazzaro hard to spell but easy to listen to Um, and he said this and it was one of those times I was super thankful for that reverse 15 seconds button on the podcast because I think I reversed it about 15 times Uh, and he said this he was talking to leaders in the church and he said you know Moses's people wanted to quit and your people are going to want to quit too God is not giving us an aspirin (laughs) let me repeat that God is not giving us an aspirin. He is doing surgery in us and in our people. Why? Because he wants to deeply transform us. God wants to deeply transform us. And it doesn't come through an aspirin. It comes through surgery. Uh, It comes through Red Sea moments. It comes through community. It comes through a variety of means. But the end is always that he would deeply transform us. Why? Because he set us apart. We are his people, but we are to become his people. And it's in becoming that we discover his faithfulness. Exodus 14, verses 13 and 14. Standing there at the edge of the Red Sea and and wondering what is going to become of them, Moses speaks to the people and he says, Fear not. And the Lord speaks to you today. Fear not. Stand firm. Stand firm. Stay dedicated. And see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. You know, we talk about the definition of a disciple a lot here. Uh, and it's from Matthew 4.19 where Jesus says, Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Uh, and it's this 
process that God takes his people through <coughs> to become something. Um, and, and what we see today is that that call to follow me is a call to dedicate yourself uh, and your life to the purposes of God. The call to follow me is a call to be dedicated. It's a call to dedicate your life to his, your life to his purposes. Uh, it's that stake in the ground moment where we make a decision to take to dedicate our whole selves in order to see it through. So, so why don't we? Uh, God's faithfulness, we can understand the calling, but, but why don't we dedicate our whole selves to him? Well, I thought about three things that can often keep us from where we need to be. And the first is that our circumstances can blind us. You know, we can easily get wrapped up in, in the culture of our world and the things that are going on. We can get wrapped up in political divisiveness and begin to believe that the, that the people who are at the heads of those are actually trying to work out something good uh, for our country. But uh, call me a skeptic. I'm beginning to believe that it only serves them, that it really only serves their purposes, that, that they perpetuate the division <laughs> because it's what draws people to them and sticks people to them and they, and they place their hope in them. But that's not where our hope is supposed to lie. <coughs> we are supposed to be set apart for his kingdom, not for someone else's. Uh, so we can get wrapped up in culture, we can get wrapped up in our circumstances, overwhelmed by our circumstances and and not see the bigger picture of what God is doing in us or even in our community. We can forget that he's called us to be set apart, to be his agents in this world. And so it's our circumstances often can blind us. The second thing is that our busyness can bury us. We, we can get so busy doing everything that we miss the one thing. You know, I was thinking, you can't, with Jesus, you can't be dedicated to everything and be dedicated to him as well. I think it was him. Sounds like something he would say, right? Like, <laughs> you cannot serve two masters, right? You'll hate the one and love the other. And so our busyness can bury us and get us to a place where, where even if we wanted to say yes, we don't have the margin to. We are so full, we are so consumed that we don't have any margin, any time left to give. And finally, our selfishness can bind us. When everything becomes about me and I am the center of the story, it's impossible for God to be at the center of my story. And that's exactly what dedication looks like, is that, is that God becomes the center of the story. And everything pivots off of that. So our, our circumstances can blind us, our busyness can bury us, and our selfishness can bind us. But Paul, he understood dedication. And in Romans 12.1, this is what he calls us to. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters... 
by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This, he says, is your spiritual worship. Your bodies as a living sacrifice. (coughs) It's a view of my self. It's a view of my whole self that is this continual offering to the Lord. That that my life, we we hear the word sacrifice. Um, We often forget that those sacrifices were presented as an offering to the Lord. And so a living sacrifice is an example of a life that is lived out as a continual offering to the Lord. where, Where everything that I have and everything that I am is intended to be continually offered to the Lord. And so how do we get to this place of being a living sacrifice? Well, thankfully, he tells us in the next verse. He says, so don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Remember the one that can blind us? (laughs) Don't be conformed to that pattern, but but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It begins in our mind. It begins in our understanding of how we see the world, our place in it, and God's purposes for us. It requires a a fundamental shift where I go from being the center of my universe and and God occupies that center position and everything goes through the filter of who he is, uh, of what it means to be set apart for his purposes, of what it means to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus. Because it's so easy for us to be duped into thinking that this world and the things that it offers are what we're living for. I was listening to a great book the other day by John Eldridge uh, called Waking the Dead. Uh, if you've never read it, I highly recommend it. Um, but, but in there he's talking about how easily we get duped into believing that this world is, is all there is. Uh, that this is what we're living for. And he does what every good author should do, and he quotes C.S. Lewis. (laughs) Um, And he talks about, well, I'll just read the quote. C.S. Lewis says, You and I have need of the strongest spell that can be found to wake us from the evil enchantment of worldliness which has been laid upon us for nearly a hundred years. That what C.S. Lewis saw was that with the Age of Enlightenment, and reason, that God had gone out the window and this world became the center of our vision, the center of our purpose, when when it was originally intended to be God, that only God can fulfill us, only God can be the source of what we need. And so, so many of us find ourselves under that spell of worldliness and it can be so convincing Sometimes. But Jesus calls us out of the slavery to this world and into a life in him. He tells us that two of the greatest things we can do are to love God and to love others. Two of the greatest things that we can do. That if you had to pick two things to spend your whole life on (laughs) and at the end of your life 
look back and see that it was a success. That those two things could be summed up in loving God and loving others. And so as we bring it back to us in our day and what we can do today, I just want to remind you and remind myself that the discipleship, that that being a follower of Jesus is not about information transfer. It's about life transfer. Jesus wasn't committed to information transfer. The masses, they loved information transfer. But Jesus knew what his disciples needed. What his disciples needed was a life transfer. It was him pouring himself into them. This is what God has created for his people. This is how we go from not just being set apart. That's an amen. (laughs) This is how we go from not just being set apart as God's people, but becoming his people, is that we understand that it's about life transfer. It's about a community of disciples who are growing together and growing one another. And so these are the two things that I would encourage you to do. The two things to ask God today in living out dedication. Ask the Lord. Who have you put into my life to pour into me? Who do you want to use that their life transfer into me, that their investment into me would grow me in the ways that you want me to grow? Who who is that person? Who are those people? And make that a priority in your life. And secondly, and he's done this too, is who are the people that you have put in my life for me to pour into? Who, who are you asking me? Who have you put in front of me? And said, Jasmine, <coughs> this is who I have for you. These are the people that you are going to pour into as you have been poured into. And you're going to take the way that the Lord has grown you. And everything that others have invested in you, and you are going to give it to them so that they can turn and give it to others. If you could only do two things your entire life and look back satisfied and knowing that you followed the Lord, it would be that you loved Him and that you loved others. That that you took what was given to you and you turned around and you gave it to others. Who do you have for me? Who do you have for me? To be poured into and to turn and to pour it out. Thank you for joining us. Real Life Arizona is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. For more information about Real Life, please visit our website at reallifearizona.com or email us at info at reallifearizona.com. May God richly bless you.